Um, we're starting a new series today called the Ambassador Series. We're going to be studying 2 Corinthians chapters 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. These chapters are all talking about this one concept of being an ambassador. Uh, today's sermon is, I am the sweet aroma of Christ. And we're looking at basically three, um, four major verses here. So anytime somebody gives their life to the Lord, any one of us, when we come to Christ, we receive a new identity, uh, a, a new name. In, in fact, most of us, if somebody says, well, who are you? Well, you'd be like, I am a Christian, right? I mean, how many of you, have somebody said, hey, and you're like, I'm a Christian. How many of you have identified as a Christian, right? So I'm a, and, and that means in Christ. I'm in Christ. I'm a Christian. So there's a lot of names, follower of Christ, disciple, believer, but one of my absolute favorites is one that's called ambassador. So I'm excited about this because this is what we're all called to be. An ambassador is an accredited diplomat sent by a country as its official representative to a foreign country. This person represents and promotes their country. So an ambassador is sent they are um, by the, the king, they're an accredited, so they're not just a, a, a wandering person out there just saying, hey, you know, but they're, they're accredited. The king sent them. The king sent this individual to represent that kingdom, right? You see where this is going, right? We have a king, and there is a kingdom, and we're all sent. Not just a pastor, we're all sent. If you are a Christian, you're an ambassador. And I want to spend the rest of this month and next month, that's how important this is. We're spending two months talking about representing and being an ambassador for Jesus Christ. See, every one of us, you're representing something and you're promoting something. Now, I look around the room, um, I, see, I, I see more um, red Chiefs jerseys out there. Um, you know, so, so here's the thing is, guess what? When you, when you wear a, a, a Chiefs jersey, what are you promoting? You're promoting the Chiefs, right? Um, and, and so you're representing. So here's the deal. I ask these questions, who do you represent and who do you promote? And here's the thing is I want to come down to the, I want to bring us back to a place of understanding that I am a promoter of the kingdom of heaven. I am a representative of the kingdom of heaven, that's the goal of today, and that what that comes out and that's displayed as, an, as a sweet aroma. So here, let me show you a little bit more about um, our new citizenship. Consequently, in Ephesians chapter 2, it says this, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow what? Citizens. Fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles, the prophets with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone in him, the whole building is joined together, rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Second, or First Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you. See, here's, he's, he's calling us, he's bringing us, we are his chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, so that you will declare the praises of him. You see, do you see right here the ambassador part? 
He's saying, hey, you are my chosen people. I'm choosing you to be my people so that you will declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. You see, if you are saved, you've been drawn out of the darkness. You've been placed into his light, and that's the praise that we are to declare. Isn't that amazing that when we start looking at God's word, and we're going to see lots of different passages through this series, and you're going to see over and over and over how we are, in fact, called out to be an ambassador. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now listen to this. Our citizenship is in heaven. You see, a lot of people say, well, what denomination? I love when I get asked that. I usually just kind of come up with something like a little funny, like, hey, we're a Minabapticostal. My last name's Yoder, so there's Mennonite backgrounds there. Uh, I went to a Baptist college, and then um, no one sees us. No one would view. If you looked around here this morning, you wouldn't think that we were Mennonite or Baptist. You'd be like, wow, there's a little costal in there. You know, <laughs> da- hey, David danced before the Lord, too. So, you know, so here's the thing. Uh, I'll tell you what, you just can't help, but, you know, like, man, my, my ankles were starting to get tired. I was tapping them. I mean, these songs were going like, oh, and my hands, are, my hands were getting like, whew. I'm all sweaty. Before I even started preaching, I'm like, man, we're having workout or church, you know, both. So here's the thing is, is that I want you guys to hear something, though. When we look at this verse, I want you, see, so here's the thing. I, I served in the military, and I, I usually don't do all the standing up because I didn't get sent anywhere, and I didn't go fight for our country, and there's people who have, so I want them to get all the recognition. But here's the thing. I'm proud to be an American, but here's the deal. I am a citizen of heaven before I'm an American. I need you to hear that. And it's not because I'm not proud or, or that I'm anti the U.S. Or, or, or that, but here's the thing is my first allegiance You hear me? My, Daniel Yoder, this is for me. My first allegiance is to Jesus and his kingdom. Then, then I'm an American. And I'm proud to be an American. But here's the deal. My first allegiance is to God and his kingdom. My citizenship is waiting for me in heaven. That's what I'm eagerly waiting for. This whole series is built on this one passage right here, 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. This is that this, when we get to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this will be the climactic point in this whole series. We are Christ's ambassadors. Today, though, we're focused on this. I am the sweet aroma of Christ to a lost world. Now, I'm going to set the stage with our passage today in 2 Corinthians. Um, We're going to start with verses 12 and 13. He says, furthermore, this is Paul. He's writing a letter to the Corinthian church. and, And he says, furthermore, when I come to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus my brother but taking my leave from them I departed from Macedonia here's what this this context is starting to will begin to unfold if you ever read through 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians you will constantly see Paul talking about his ministry always being under attack by people by the government by the Jews I mean by everything I mean Paul was constantly under pressure he was constantly being attacked he was constantly being thrown out of town he was by by the Jews by the Gentiles by a city by by Rome all over and over and over he went hungry he went 
um, fool. He, he says, man, I've, he's, he's experienced every different thing. So here's the deal. In this context, he's telling them, man, there was a door open for the gospel. But I had no rest in my spirit because I couldn't find one of my friends. So he left there. When I started thinking about the whole context of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and we begin to see all these different things, you know, ministry is tough. If you've ever ministered very long or if you've ever been in the ministry, it's stressful. It's, it can be discouraging at different times. Paul had experienced many difficulties in his ministry. He had affliction throughout Asia. He had crit- criticisms um, of his personal integrity. He, he experienced pain in his heart because of the sin that was happening in the church. He had an inability to settle into missionary work at Troas because he couldn't find his friend. There was all these different kinds of things that happened. And in this passage, the next verse, he says this. And what I love about this is this. He could have sat around and complained about all the things going wrong in his life. He says, man, I couldn't find my friend, but thanks be to God. When I look at that this is probably one of the, my favorite parts of this whole passage because he would have, I mean, how many times would it be easy for us to complain and like, man, you know what's going on in my life? And we could really build pity city pretty quick. My grandma used to tell me every once in a while and I'd be talking about how the church was treating me if it wasn't treating me very good. And, uh, and, and I was like, I'm going through this and I'm going through this and I'm going through this. And, and my grandma would just be looking at me. And when I would finish complaining, she goes, are you done being in Pity City yet? <laughs> yes, Grandma. All right. Let's move on. You know, and here would have been an easy point for him, Paul, to begin to complain or build his little Pity City to get people to feel sorry for him. But instead, he says, instead of doing that, he says, thanks be to God. Instead of complaining instead of like oh look at my life look at my struggle look at my suffering he instead of that he says but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere what I love is the first thing here is the triumphal procession this views our ministry or our service as, a vic- as victorious. See, here's the thing is a lot of times we think, well, I'm suffering and my life is, the circumstances are, are difficult. Ministry is not going easy. It's not going well. And we see this as failure. And he's like, no, it's through our suffering. Victory is often secured. I think a lot of times we get so caught up in our suffering and our pain that we lose sight that God never loses. And so because God, this is God's ministry, he ensures the effectiveness and the victory of it. See, living water will be victorious because it belongs to God. So it can't lose. As long as it belongs to God, it can't lose. But here's the deal. We have to decide who we're going to promote. You will promote your pain and suffering or you will promote Christ. 
See, there's, it's not an accident that I'm talking about the ambassador series following the series that I preached last month, which was from victim to victor. There, it's not an accident that this all fell into place. I'm not going to talk about walking in victory before we get over being a victim. Because as long as I walk around feeling sorry for myself, as long as I keep playing the victim card and getting everybody to feel sorry for me all the time, I'm never going to walk in victory. I'm never going to be following Christ into this victorious procession if I'm still feeling sorry for myself, have you ever noticed that when things are going rough, you're either going to be promoting all of the things going wrong in your life, or you can promote Christ who's on the throne. You see, I think there's a, that's where a major issue in today's people is that we are more promoting. We are so about, and when you promote your suffering and your pain, you're promoting you. Because the moment I start whining about my life, I'm promoting my pain as if my pain is something. And what I'm doing is I'm elevating the strength of my pain while lowering the power of Christ and his healing. Because what I'm saying is I don't have healing from this. It's too big. It's too, oh, feel bad for me. And guys, we got to grow up and we got to get out of that. We, are, we, we live in a nation who loves to whine. We love to complain. We love to criticize. We love to be, have everybody feeling sorry for ourselves. Stop it. You have a victorious king who always wins, and we should not be whining about our pain. The decision is yours. You decide. You get to decide. Do I elevate and promote my pain, my suffering, my circumstances, the storm I'm living in, or do I promote the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the great I am, who has all the power and knows how to fix my problems? Who are you going to promote? An ambassador promotes the kingdom from which he's from. So you're either promoting your kingdom of suffering or you promote the king and his kingdom of healing. Come on now, that's some good stuff right there. I didn't write it, that's why. I mean, it's good. That's some true stuff. Think about it though. Don't we often get wrapped up in promoting our little baby kingdoms of suffering? Hmm. An ambassador doesn't. An ambassador stays on focus and he says, I know who I'm promoting and that's the king. That's Christ. That's my savior. So listen to this. Let's, let's walk through it. This is the meat. If, you're, if, you want to, if you want the meat, this is the meat of the sermon right here. Now, thanks be to God who. This is spoke, speaking of God. Thanks be to God who always. I love this. Always. Whew, always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses Diffuses would be to spread out the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. So the first word we're going to look at is always. Always means forever always. This is a representation of his eternal quality. God is eternal. And what he does is eternal. So when it says God always, it means God always. Not sometimes, not once in a while, not if the circumstances are right. God always. And what does he always do? He leads in triumph. That means that God doesn't lose. When I follow God, he doesn't lose. He's undefeated. He's never lost a match. He's never lost a battle. Not even close. He's a winner. He wins at everything. 
God never loses. He's never going to fail. He always leads to victory. So you get to choose. Do I follow him and his kingdom? Because he's always going to win. See, Jesus won on the cross. Didn't look like it though, did it? See, the devil thought he won. He thought, wow, I'm going to kill the Messiah. And that's exactly what we needed to ensure victory. You see, a lot of times you're walking through life and it doesn't look like you're winning. It doesn't look like you're getting the victory. A lot of times that victory is right around the corner. And all of a sudden your eyes are open and you see the victory that God provided when it looked like it wasn't coming. You see, he always, this is something, God always, he's eternal. Now, two things that he always does, he leads us in triumph, and he always, not only always leads us to triumph, but he always, through us, his believers, his followers, his ambassadors, always, through us, diffuses And that means to reveal or make known. So what he's doing is he's always going to lead us to victory. And he's always going to, through us, reveal himself. That's amazing. So you see the word where it says in in the brackets, pap? That's a Greek term. It's present active participle. So what present tense means is a continuous thing. Present tense is now, 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 now. It's a, it, it speaks of habit or, or something that's continuous, repetitious. Um, so what's the repetitious part of this verse is the always. He always, this is the present tense. As long as God is in this moment, he's leading to victory. So there's never a time that God isn't leading to victory. He's always leading to victory. How many of you need a victory in your life today? Then follow God who always leads to victory. The second thing is active. This is talking about who's doing the action. God is the one doing the leading. He is the one securing the victory. He is the one who's revealing himself through us. He's doing the work. That's pretty amazing. Because if victory was left to me, we would lose every time. Aren't we tired of losing? If you're losing in your life because you're leading, because God always leads to victory. If you're losing, you're not following God because God doesn't lose. You guys got, we got, we, we got this, right? We understand that it makes sense. God always, not sometimes, not if the, if the devil's not in the way. No, God always leads to victory, to triumph. He's always leading there. And if I don't have that in my life, then there's probably me following myself. The participle is a verbal adjective. I love this, a participle. You guys should be taking notes, you students in school. You guys got to start school. Not this Tuesday, but next Tuesday. So, I mean, like like 11 days, you guys are starting school. So, you might want to start brushing up on your note-taking. Like, like, go to school. This is great. So, here's the deal. is A, a, a participle is a verbal adjective. The, the action, the verb, is descriptive of the noun. And guess what? When, when we then, what this means is that we are known People know us, us Christians. We are known by God's leadership and by his victory and by his revelation. That's awesome. 
when I start thinking about what this one verse, taken out of this, this passage, when you break down this one verse, all that it's saying, and, and let, me, let me break it down even more. No matter, your, no matter the circumstances of your life, God wants to lead you to victory so that you, so that you, so too reveal himself to a lost and hurting world. That's what he's wanting to do. He's wanting to help secure a victory in your life which will show the rest of the world God moving in your life. God wants to move in your life. And when God's moving in your life, it reveals him to the rest of the world around you. When you have a victory in your marriage, it reveals Christ. When you have a victory in your finances, it's going to show, it's going to show Christ. What happens is every time I'm going through something, I'm allowing God to lead me through that and for him to secure his victory when he wants to. Let's keep going. Verse 15. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ. I love that. That's why I highlighted it in green because I kind of like neon green. It's kind of a pretty color. I like it. For we are to God. Did you catch that? We are to God. So those who believe in Jesus Christ, we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ. Man. Among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Let me give you a couple of verses here. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says, therefore be imitators of God. Be imitators of God as dear children. Walk in love as Christ has loved and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So Christ is described here as a sweet-smelling aroma because of a sacrifice. And But what does it start off saying? Be an imitator of God. So I am to imitate Christ who happens to be a sweet-smelling aroma to God. Isn't that amazing? So let me give you another verse. Revelations 5.8. In fact, throughout Revelations, about four or five different times, it speaks of our prayers. It says, Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Your prayer is incense to the Lord. Held in these bowls, offered to the Lamb. Have you ever thought about your prayer? If we could take your prayer and put it in a bowl and then offer that bowl to God. I wonder how many of those prayers we got. Could I take that part out? That last one when I was complaining about everything, can we kind of delete that? Can I, can I retract that one? I don't want that one to go. Think about that. When we're praying, it's going. All right, so verse 15. We, we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. So to God, we're the aroma of his son. To the lost, we're the stench of death. To the saved, we're the aroma of life. Let me break this how, how this works. So Paul is using very interesting imagery here. So the Corinthians were one of Romans' many cities. 
The Romans, when they would win a battle, they would take their great army and they would march that army down Main Street, right up through Rome. And they would have their army marching proudly and everybody's cheering. But you know what else they would do that we often don't know because it doesn't necessarily just say that in in the Bible. You have to look into a little bit of history. But they would burn the incense on the streets to their gods. Lowercase g, of course. Lowercase g, God, not, not our God. But what would happen is that aroma, that incense that's being burned on the streets, would be putting the smell. And so as the army's walking through, to them, this incense burnt to their gods represented freedom and victory. But what if you were one of those cities that were conquered and they were marching through your city burning that incense? It was the smell of defeat and slavery. So to those who are saved when they're around us, if we're truly living that life as an ambassador, if I'm living that life, I'm imitating Christ, to those who are saved around me, they will sense Christ. And it means life and hope and faith. Have you ever been around somebody who just did not believe that God, they knew that God couldn't lose and you're struggling in your faith and you're like, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this mess. And the other person's like, God. And they're like, you're like, oh, come on. And you're like, yes. And have you ever been around one of those people, those annoying people that won't let you just not have faith, right? You're like, I want to feel sorry. No, God's got the victory. And so then you start getting excited. That's what we're talking about. When you are an ambassador of God, you're representing an undefeated king who never loses a battle. And so everybody that's around you, they sense hope from you. They sense faith from you. And they know what God can do because they see it in you. Isn't that what it's supposed to look like? Could you imagine if every one of you left this house and you went out to the streets and you were a true ambassador of Christ, holding firm to the faith, following the king who never loses? What would your marriage look like if that was at the center. Well, I want to share a story with you. I love this. This passage is out of Second Chronicles chapter 20. I'm actually going to read you an entire chapter of the Bible without stopping very many times. But it's only 1126, so, I mean, and I hope that you set the Chiefs game for DVR. Or you'll be watching highlights later. So listen, when I, when I get to this, I love this passage. In fact, my grandma and grandpa had this big grandfather clock in their house. And on the front was taped this 2 Corinthians chapter 20. The battle belongs to the Lord. And I thought, you know what? This is, this is a perfect place because we see how the, the Romans... We're burning their incense, and, 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 and now we're going to see it from God's perspective. We're going to flip the script over, and we're going to see what this looks like. So here we find in Second Chronicles chapter 20, the, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the, it looks like Mennonites, but they're not the Mennonites that we know, um, came to wage war against King Jehoshaphat. So here we have three countries 
coming to fight one country. Three countries say, we hate Israel. We're going to team up together. We're going to make one big, vast army, and we're going to go destroy Israel. That's exactly the context. So what happens is the word gets back to King Jehoshaphat. A vast army has, has, has coming, and it's coming to fight us. A vast army immediately, when he knows all three countries that are involved, he can't win. This is a fight he doesn't have the army to defeat. When you get into a situation in your life and you can't win, great. It's about time you put your sword down and you let king fight for you. You see, what I love about this is that they can't win this. There is a lot of fear. Think about this. If, if, it, was, if it was flipped and, and, and let's say, you know, we were, were a smaller country and there were three countries coming to America and they had way bigger armies than us and they're coming. And you're like, we can't win this. Can you imagine the fear? I have a... Can you imagine, like, what is that going to mean for our kids and our kids' kids and the next generation? What's, what's going to happen? There is fear taking place. So King Jehoshaphat prays. See, he didn't go to consultants. He didn't go and try to buy mercenaries. He went to the king. He said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? What if our prayers look like that? Every time something came up in your life, what if it looked like that? God, are you not the God of heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms and nations. Power and might, they're in your hand. No one, no one, no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name. If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword or judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name. And we'll cry out to you in our distress. And you will hear us. And you'll what? Save us. But now, here are men from Ammon and Moab and Mainzer. Whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy it. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the position, possession you gave us as an inheritance? Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes, what? Our eyes are on you. God, I don't know what to do in my life, but my eyes, they're on you. I'm waiting on you, God. What a prayer. What a prayer. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood before the Lord. They're all waiting now in anticipation. Here's the king of a nation and he knows who the king of kings is. So here's the king of a nation going to the king of kings saying, God, we don't know what to do. Our eyes are on you. And at this time, as this vast army is coming, 
They have not fought the battle. But now they're hearing from the Lord. A prophet stands up and he said, Listen, king, and all you who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Whatever's going on in your life, wouldn't that be great? Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. The battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, he says, tomorrow, march down against them. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance of the Lord God will give you and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. What's amazing is he's like, you're not going to have to fight, but go out. You're going to see the Lord's deliverance. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some of the Levites and the Kohathites and the Korites stood up and praised the Lord in a very loud voice. In the morning, they set out. Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, Judah and the people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord, your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. After consulting the people, listen to this. Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him before the splendor of his holiness. Do you remember the context? They haven't fought yet. See, a lot of times we lose our faith because we see the vast army. We see the vast army and we lose our faith. We live in fear and discouragement. It seems like we only praise God when everything is going good. I want you not to forget the context of this passage. The army is still coming. The, the, then they, and they said, well, God said he was going to fight the battle, but they're still coming. We're still seeing it. We see the dust rising up because there's three nations coming against one. We see them coming. God, I thought you were fighting this battle. God, I thought you were going out before us. They sent out men to sing in front of the army. From here on out, whenever we go into battle, Cheyenne and... And, and Chrissy, your guys' worship team, you guys are going to be in front of the army. You're going to be in front. Everybody, everybody with shields are going to be behind you. All right? I mean, can you imagine that? That's the day they're like, I'm calling in sick to the worship team. I, I don't think that I'm going to make it in today. I mean, you know, you're, you're sitting there like all the people who have weapons and shields and bows and arrows and all of that's behind you. Hey, We've consulted some people, and we're going to send you out forward. You go first. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be fun. It'll be fun, they said. I want you to, don't miss the context. They sent me, they haven't fought the battle. The army's still out there, and they're singing praises to God about his holiness. And they said, give thanks to the Lord. They're giving thanks before thanksgiving was needed. You guys catch that, right? They're giving thanks before the victory. 
Have you ever thanked God before the victory actually came? God, thank you for healing my marriage before my marriage was healed. Thank you because I know you're going to. It may not be healed in this moment, but you're going to. So God, I'm going to thank you and I'm going to praise you. Thanks to the Lord, his love endures forever. As they began to sing, you see that? As they began, as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. As they began to sing praise to God, as they began to thank God, praise God, and sing to God, he went before them. What if we spent more time praising God in the storm and then God, as we're singing praises and we're standing firm in our faith, God, I don't know how you're going to do it, but my eyes are on you. And I know that you always lead to victory. So here we are. We're going to sing in the middle of the rain. We don't care because our eyes are on you. We're waiting to see how you're going to fix this. They did not know the ambushes were set yet, do they? They didn't know it. They're still singing. They didn't know that God was going ahead of them as they were singing. As they were singing praises and being thankful to God whose love endures forever. As they're thanking God for a victory that they don't even know has happened yet. They still do it anyways. And God goes before them. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert. So when they showed up for battle. And they looked at the desert and looked Toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies laying on the ground. No one had escaped. Joseph and his men went to carry off their plunder. And they found among them such a great amount of equipment, clothing, and articles of value, more than any could take away. There was such a plunder that it took them three days to collect it. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley where they praised the Lord. This is why it's called the Valley of Barakah to this day. Then led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem. For the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They were praising God. Now they had reason to rejoice in God. They entered and went to the temple. Can you imagine that after the victory you go straight to church? Wouldn't that be nice? Got to go to church, celebrate the victory. The fear of God came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord fought against the enemies of Israel. You see how Israel as an entire nation became an ambassador? They were an aroma of life to each other, but they caused fear among the enemies of God. Isn't that amazing? The last verse that I want us to close with in the Second Corinthians, he says this, Paul says, And who is equal to such a task? Who's equal to such a task? Paul had said that we were an aroma of Christ to God, an aroma 
of life to those who were saved, an aroma of death to those who lost. And then he says, who is equal to such a task? Here's the reality is I can't do any. I'm not anything. I'm not a good smelling aroma without Christ. Who's equal to such a task? Because he's, he's calling us out. We are to be the sweet aroma of Christ. And who is equal to such a task? And he says, unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. There were a lot of people during that time that, that would, would add water to their wine to make it go further. They would sell it at the same price. They would add weight to their scales to take advantage of people. They would, they would be like carnivals trying to suck everyone in. And here's the thing is he's like, man, there was people who were trying to peddle the word of God. What we know about the word of God is that it does not return void. That it's sharper than a double-edged sword. It is living and active. It is useful for all areas of our life. And he says, on the contrary, so he says, we're not trying to make profit on this. We're not trying to take advantage of, of Christians' generosity. Here's what we're doing. He says, on the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. Every one of you who has placed your faith in God, you're sent by the same God. When you walk out of these doors, some of you will go to Walmart. Many of you will. You, you, you laugh because you're going to be there. You are sent by God out of the, when you walk out, you're entering into the mission field. Wherever you go, kids, you're about to go back to school. What kind of an aroma are you going to be at school? What kind of, what kind of an aroma are people going to recognize Christ in you when you go back to school, when you go back to work on Monday? Who's equal to such a task? I don't have the victory. God does, but he's going before me. So wherever you go, he's already there. And he has sent you to represent him. And I thought about this. Thanks be to God who uses us for such a task. Have you ever thought about Thanking God just for using you in any kind of capacity. Pastor Paul has a, a very long list of, of prayer requests that he writes down. Everybody has a different kind of prayer life, but I can tell you in my prayer life, there is one thing that consumes my time more than anything else, and that is thanksgiving. When I start praying, my, the first things that I write down in my prayer journal is, thank you, God, and then I just start going. And I would say that 90% of my prayer life is thanksgiving. I don't know why. I'm just thankful. I'm just so thankful that God would use me, that God would, would, would bless this church, that I get to be a part of this. Like, I get to be in this family. I mean, you guys are pretty cool. You know, like, I like, I'm just... You know, 
James and I tease all the time, like, we get to go to church here. I mean, how cool is that? We get to go here. You know, every week we get to show up and, and it's like every time we walk into this building, there are people filled with anticipation of what God's going to do and we get to be a part of that. And so every week I'm just like, God, thank you. Thank you for letting me be here. Thank you for my smoking hot wife. 20 years. <laughs> she's younger than me. So when I'm getting old and wrinkled, she's still going to look good. So No, I'm, I'm, I, I think when I look at my life, I'm just, there is so much to be thankful for. You know, when my son was dying, I still thanked God. When Malachi was sick and he wasn't getting better, I still thanked God. I thanked God that he believed in the Lord. I thanked God that Malachi loved Jesus. I thanked God that I knew where Malachi was going, that I wasn't having to sit there and going, well, I hope he's in a better place. I can't tell you how many funerals I've had to go to and, and everybody's like, well, they're in a better place. I'm like, I don't think so. Because that's, we don't know what else to say. You know, most of the time they ask preachers to lie. Well, he's saved. Are you, I, from what? The, my, my, the one that I hear all the time, well, well, they don't go to church, but here's what I know about this. Church doesn't save me, but if I'm saved, I'm going because there's no other place I want to be. I want to be in God's house, praising his name. When we get to heaven, guess what? It's going to be one big church. I hear a lot of times people say, well, I don't like big churches. You aren't going to like heaven. It's huge. Well, I don't like that denomination. They're going to be there too. Let thanksgiving take over. What I find is that when we begin, if you're going to be the aroma of Christ, if I'm going to be the aroma of Christ, it's going to start with thanksgiving. Because when I'm thanking God, guess what I'm not doing? I'm not complaining. If I'm thanking God, I'm not complaining. If I'm thanking God, I'm not criticizing others. If I'm thanking God, I'm not whining about the pain in my life. If I'm thanking God, I don't have time for the other stuff because I'm thanking God. So what I want to challenge you to do is no matter what's going on in your life, no matter how big that storm is, thank God anyways. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. And you start praising him in the middle of the storm. And you start shouting out how holy and how wonderful and who he is. And you keep standing in faith, believing. And you keep your eyes on him and see what he does. So worship team, come on up here. What I want us to start with today is this. I'm gonna, I stand over here all the time every week. If you want to give your life to Jesus and you don't know how and you would like somebody to walk with you through that, I'll be right there. You come look for this guy. But for all of you who are already saved, here's what I want you to do. When, they was, when they, the, 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 the Israelites were getting ready, when they were getting ready to go into battle, they began to praise God and have thanksgiving towards God before that victory had ever happened.
So I want to invite us to come place our thanksgiving at this altar or right at the altar of the chair where you're sitting. But what I want us to do is this is a time to say, God, I know this is going on in my marriage. I know this is going on in my home, but I'm thanking you for the victory before it comes. Some of you guys have a struggling marriage right now. Listen to me, men. Some of us sitting in this room right now, we know there's a struggle in our family, in our home. Men, I'm going to tell you, grab your wife by the hand. You lead her up here and you thank God for the victory in your marriage before that victory comes. And you do it today. Some of you have children that are not saved. You come and you thank God for a victory in your child's life before that victory comes. Today is a day of saying, God, I'm going to thank you before the victory comes. And I'm saying, do it now. Do it right now. Don't wait. You be the first. Be the first to thank God for a victory that hasn't happened. Be the first. Begin to thank God no matter what's going on in your life. You thank God for what he's going to do before he does it.